Welcome back to Quaid in Full, the podcast with all the thoughts to give about actor Dennis Quaid and the only podcast to know that you're not sated until you are Quaided. I am Jeb Lund, someone who gets the chance to fall directly on his spine and go, whoa, and joining me is your co-host and a woman who gets the chance to fall directly on her spine and go, whoa, Sarah D. Buntick. My kingdom for a crew neck. And joining us again for the first time since season six's Traffic is freelance writer, former TV critic of the AV Club, and co-author of the Monsters of the Week, the complete critical companion to the X-Files. Please welcome back another person who gets to fall directly on his spine and go, whoa, Zach Handlin. Hello, thank you very much, and I just want to assure everyone that I'm definitely not a hallucination. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry for you that that is true. Thank you for coming back for this. Yeah, thank you for having me, yeah. I'll admit, I've, I have been curious about this movie for a while, because I do remember seeing trailers, but I think even then I was old enough to know what like a, a clear alien knockoff would be like. I, I really want to thank both of you for getting into the DMs before I watched this movie and preparing me for for nothing. Like, there, <laughs> there was no hope by the time I got to it from just seeing you two go back and forth. You know, you look at the movie, you look at the summary, you're like, is I mean, how Event Horizon is this? Is it like, is it up to 11? And, you know, I just see her back and forth and there's no speculation anymore. It is 11 Event Horizon. And it just, it, it took me... Probably an extra hour and a half because I got about 20 minutes into it. And I was like, well, I've watched five minutes. I get to play one game of Risk on my computer now. Yeah. <laughs> uh -huh. yeah. Yeah. My confession is that I've, I've been working on, um, I've gotten into Legos recently because I'm a 43-year-old single man. What else is there in my life? Um, and I didn't spend the entire movie putting together a Lego set while it was running. <laughs> but I did put together some of a Lego set while I was running. I'll confess that in advance. Yeah, I knitted a good foot and a half of a blanket, um, which I now feel like I need to send to the Nadia character because only in this kind of sci-fi are the boobs that boobie. <laughs> I mean, good for that demo, I guess. I just kept feeling profound pity for her just boobing around in deep space. You know, I, I don't want to feel self-pity here, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to excuse myself for poor behavior, but I, I resent the fact that I was like, oh, well, there are boobs in the movie. That That's nice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, I didn't want to be reduced to that. All I got was fucking Quaid in a hypersleep diaper. So, you know what? Uh, I don't right. want to hear the complaining. Yeah. yeah. There's a bit of package at the beginning. I was like, well, there's a Sarah bit of business. <laughs> yeah, that's that's it. And that it was all down. And not just Quaid either. Ben Foster was was packing. And I was like, okay. I, uh -huh. I don't really understand why I'm saying this, but okay. <laughs> Respect it. Yeah. Just seeing character after character burst wearing like a fleshy body condom was uh, <laughs> it was revealing not necessarily of my desires, but <laughs> it was a thing, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> There's some texture there. <laughs> yeah. That desires are extant, which that might be another thing the movie rips off. Do you want to do a plot summary, Jeb, or should we just advise people to watch a list of episodes and other sci-fi? I think it's a good idea. I'd, I'd like to hear the brainstorm. I wrote the plot summary, so we're reading the plot summary. But, Fucking um, A. I mean, we've done Alien and, and Event Horizon. What mm -hmm. else? 
uh, the descent. Uh, yeah. Yep. Yep. Sorry, I just talked over you, but I was the descent was definitely and um. Oh, it's also very video gamey. I don't know how much you guys actually play like from a very specific era of like kind of sci-fi horror video games, but it's very much Dead Space E, which is a reference that's actually kind of relevant. But you know, it's basically Event Horizon, but the video game. So. Mm-hmm. And then uh, there's the Reavers from Serenity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. some Abyss. And of course, Ren and Stimpy Space Madness. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I, 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 that almost gave me enough joy to make me happy. I mean, obviously, getting to talk to you guys is is the real joy here. But the fact that once I realized that they were doing Space Madness, but seriously, I, I, I did get a, a fair amount of pleasure from that because it's like we've already covered this. This is like an old cartoon from like the late '90s, but you're doing it like it's like somebody watched that and decided no no what it really needs is to be filmed in a blender with a bunch of really sweaty people and no jokes yeah okay and some motor right. oil no nice candy red button just green just yeah. lots of <laughs> dripping green. mossy green and black and boobs black some boobs. kind of pastel black mm-hmm. <laughs> all right since we don't seem to have any pod business and i hope that we never do again let's just go ahead and go into the plot summary let's Centuries in the future, a depleted and terminal Earth sends the colony and generation ship Elysium on a 123-year journey to the habitable planet Tannis, home of the headpiece of the Staff of Ra. We see a message telling the Elysium that they are all that remains of humanity just before Corporal Bauer, Ben Foster, comes out of hypersleep, and he briefly loses his mind at being trapped alone in the dark. Lieutenant Peyton Dennis Quaid also comes out of hypersleep, and they both realize that something is wrong. They're trapped alone and can't get to the bridge. While Peyton stays behind to have a bottle episode, Bauer crawls through the ship's vents to find a way out. Instead, what he finds are cannibalistic mutants and other people who have come out of hypersleep at different times. Man, a monoglot farmer, and Nadia, a zoologist who is probably available. Bauer gives one perfunctory speech to get them to band together, and then it's off to find and reboot the reactor before the Elysium goes boom boom. They meet a cannibal along the way who decides to be friendly after a single speech, too. Meanwhile, Quaid's Peyton fight clubs a lengthy, paranoid conversation with a bridge crew member he found, and who turns out to be his younger self before he tried to kill the entire colony ship in an advanced state of Pandorum. What is Pandorum, you ask? Pandorum is a form of violent paranoia brought on by a sudden emotional shock and whatever the plot needs it to do. It turns out that the Elysium landed on Tannis 800 years ago and is underwater. The cannibalistic mutants have evolved from the ship's hypersleep nutrients designed to help them adapt to life on Tannis. Bauer, Nadia, and Mon get the reactor going, killing many of the mutants. Peyton attempts to destroy everything again, but is thwarted by flooding. Bauer and Nadia escape to the surface as the ship sinks, killing Peyton and the mutants. We end with 1,200 remaining colonists' escape pods shooting to the surface as all their supplies flood. This is also Pandorum. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love I love the part when they, they've been captured by the that cook character. Speaking of the Nadia who is probably available, the cook guy goes, Oh, I'm gonna kill your girlfriend. And I was like, What? <laughs> they've, they've they've had like two conversations. He's mostly been moping about his wife who's dead or something. It just it felt very much like obviously he was just saying it as a joke, but it also sort of felt like, oh, that's what the screenwriters want me to be invested in for some reason, because I don't know. It was very, very, uh, very unexpected. Yeah, they were like, we need one extra level of horny on this menace here. Just to remind <laughs> you that you can feel a second emotion in this movie if horny is an emotion for you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then <laughs> what's his name? 
Cam Gigande as young Quaid was like, okay, if the idea is to make Quaid look like a higher level thespian <laughs> mission accomplished but i was so bogged down i mean mostly in my knitting pattern if i'm being totally honest but i was so bogged down in like how that timeline worked and the many ways in which the script only copied the confusing parts of other similar sci-fi properties like this <laughs> it's I... so convoluted and all the really interesting stuff happened before we get there anyways yes thank you like, for the first 15 or 20 minutes, I was like, I do feel like I've seen this before, but this particular plot nodule is is fine. And Ben Foster is a very good actor. He's better than this, and I felt very sorry for him. But then it just devolves into the kind of movie that casts Dennis Quaid as their, you know, third choice action hero in a big budget and a question mark sci-fi uh, the interest had all leaked out of it about 20 minutes in the minute I was like, oh, it's not a giant space spider. I no longer care. <laughs> I, yeah, I think I think my hope died when I realized that, oh, Quaid's going to be isolated from Foster's character for the bulk. Oh, OK. So he could just shoot all of his stuff in one day or something. Mm -hmm. There's something about realizing that like the monsters are going to be, oh, they're like people, but slightly different because they look like orcs. And I don't know, just like it's like very deadening once you realize, oh, this is what the plot's going to be. So now I have to wait another hour and 10 minutes before I get whatever horrible twist they've got in store. I was half convinced in the first five or 10 minutes that they were just in hell. That was like my first prediction. But so I will give the movie credit for not going in the worst possible direction. But, eh. you know, having read you two uh, <laughs> manage my expectations downward. <laughs> I was a little <laughs> confused in the first 20 minutes where I was like, okay, well, this is, this seems to be some plausibly claustrophobic trial and error. You know, they're building out the universe by, you know, each individual room that gets inspected. What if they are in hell? What if this is no exit? What if they're doomed to not know anything? That would be interesting. Well, why did they pick? Oh, oh, that's why they didn't like it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, up top, they were making it seemed like all the right choices that even though this wasn't necessarily anything new, they give the heavy, let's all learn this world together via our POV character exposition to Ben Foster, smart. They don't show us too much, smart. We don't get bogged down in these warriors, because that's, that's another one. Like, it does seem like it's the warriors <laughs> until it's the non-space spider orcs. But they made a lot of smart choices that were like, let's not over explain it because we're not doing anything new. So the less we say, the better. And then the script was like, um, a word could have been not bad and then was bad, like actively bad. There, there's like no reason this movie should be an hour and 48 minutes long. That was another like deadening moment. I don't I don't have an objection to longer movies at all, but the amount of story they had and the way they chose to deliver that story, I don't think this was a high budget movie because like so much of it's just the same sort of dingy gray corridors and like I had very little sense of geography of the ship. Mm -hmm. That just felt like they just didn't like it felt like a TV, like a Twilight Zone episode that was stretched. Um, maybe an hour Twilight Zone episode, if I'm going to give him that. But yeah, just the, the interesting parts of the story were sort of bookended at the beginning and the end. And uh, and then there's just too much. Like, it kind of couldn't commit to one version of Hell, which I agree would have been a smarter and more interesting thing to watch. Like, oh, they are just trapped in there. 
that's it. Like they die in 45 minutes, they die in 45 days, the same outcome is going to happen. Um, maybe I've just been watching a lot of Yellow Jackets lately, and that's where <laughs> that's where my mind goes with a nightmarish plot like this. But they they set the scene really successfully, and up top they cast it pretty well. I thought Foster and Quaid had good on screen new partner chemistry, for lack of a mm-hmm. better term. Mm-hmm. But then they just decided to commit to this, you know, budget horizon that. It doesn't work nearly as well as what I thought I was getting into in the beginning. And then the fact that you've never heard of anyone past Foster and Quaid except Gigande, who, like, you haven't heard of him for any good reason. He sucks at acting. So (laughs) (laughs) I actually had to check IMDb twice. I was like, that's not Hayden Christensen, is it? That's yes, not, thank you. Yeah, I thought the same thing. Yeah. 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 The other thing I will say, like for the pacing of it, like if it had just been hell, I'd have been fine with so many other choices. But because, it, you know, they're taking you slowly through these little scenes on the ship, you know, before like dumping a, a whole lot of expo on you. You know, I, I'm sitting there going like, OK, you know, if, if I'm making a, a generation ship that is going to colonize new life. What I'm going to want to make sure I have in there a lot is like an octagonal elongated jewel shaped room that is taller than it is wide with like (laughs) matching hatches on the bottom. Cause you're going to need that Mm -hmm. for humanity. (laughs) You're also going to need it to look like the interior of a Victorian factory. Yeah. Everywhere. And Um, hyper sleep chambers will come with white strips. Apparently we we, we also have to make sure that our, our, our spaceship is the least space efficient space possible. So we want to have a lot of big open spaces between all the hypersleep containers, just like they're like it's more of an art installation. So when people wake up, they're kind of inspired instead of like frightened because uh, there's another one. Like all those little, you know, erupting upward hypersleep chambers in the closing room, or at least the last time I they're really showcased, I think, where the the guy winds up being reanimated and then torn apart. Um, it's sort of like the the end, like the V'ger set from the end of Star Trek: oh, The Motion yeah. Picture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Just to briefly mention, like, because of the Event Horizon factor, is I don't really love Event Horizon, and one of the things that always annoyed me from it is that every movie since then seems to have taken the lesson from like Ridley Scott's Alien of the dingy lived in, but they always have to push it that extra little step so it's no longer it completely loses any plausibility. I just find it really hard to like in the very very opening scene of uh, when Foster's in that cryo tube, there are like these little panels on the wall that have all these H- minor HR Giger doodads to them and i just the instant i saw that i'm like oh, okay yeah that this is gonna be they're not like actually trying to be plausible anyway they just want to like really really jam the atmosphere down my throat yeah and yeah it worked for a little while like you say like the first 20 minutes or so it worked because it was just the two of them there was almost like a, a visceral feeling to the claustrophobia and then once it started to actually have to tell a story it, it just kind of fell back on the usual tropes i will just sort of jump in here and say though like event horizon is not a good movie it's got like four things in it that are really memorable and the rest sucks. Yeah. Oh yeah. And like yeah. if this had had like the Liberate Tutame whatever scene in it, if it had had one, 
you know, that's like another 1.5 on the rating for it. If it had four of them, you know, it gets over five and you're like, well, this is pretty average. But like Event Horizon is terrible. I don't know why everybody copied it. Yeah, I I cannot complain enough and in a way that like I can't even articulate enough to like make it worth saying again. But I just the frustration I feel whenever I watch any of these sci-fi horror movies when they signal so clearly that they only have one idea on how to make a spaceship look scary. And that's just to make it look like it's just, uh, oh, it's a warehouse, but it's like slightly sharper in places yeah as uh our esteemed colleague david t cole once pointed out in t-shirt form uh 70s sci-fi was all about hexagons like can we can we move away from the <laughs> hexagonal and octagonal door narrative um, like, just just make it a fucking door this is a spaceship that has a stack of literal like 18 wheel truck containers in it yeah mm-hmm. it's like what were those supposed to be like living pods or something like that i'm like that's just a fucking truck like you're trafficking people is this what we're supposed to take <laughs> from this here's another issue that i had there was absolutely no consistency as to when the reactor powered and a question mark electronics of the ship worked and didn't work and sometimes that was a big problem and sometimes there was a victrola crank where you could wind up the desk that you happen to be working at. Like, I understand because I have seen a sci-fi film before that this is the inciting problem and they're trying to get to the bridge, blah, blah, fine. But why should I care if sometimes the lights work and sometimes they don't? And when they don't, they have those rave sticks. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Who cares? Well, the rave sticks are green. They're yes. green, Sarah. It's <laughs> I, more I really, green. It really felt like like that that connects to me, like that sense of like I never really felt like I had any sense of how the ship was arranged or where anything was. They completely it never felt like a complete space. It just felt like but like the movie it felt like, like watching the movie Cube, but less, you know, intentional. And I feel like it connects into me not care like the same thing, like not care. I don't I don't care well, the power reactor. Ooh, that's very video gamey of you. But because I had no sense of play like it just felt like after Ben Foster gets out of that opening room and he's like going around, at first it's really intense, but then it's like he's in these longer halls and I'm like, wait, is that the same hall? Or we did he did he just loop back or is he going yeah. like there's just no sense <laughs> yeah. of any sort of motion. I think there was a gag about this in Spaceballs. At least that's what I remembered while I was making a note about it. That I was like, didn't they do this in Spaceballs that they keep passing each other in the same, like, juncture? <laughs> the same, like, hallway <laughs> uh, crossroads? It's, yeah, it's it's really not good. Yeah, the, the other thing, actually, Zach, maybe you're with me here on this one, is seeing the, okay, it's a ship. Also, it's a, an abandoned factory in space. The other comp that came to mind, uh, Space Mutiny. <laughs> Mm -hmm. (laughs) in which case you know you could easily defeat the the horrible cannibalistic mutants if you had a guy on your side who was big large mchuge Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) yeah ben foster is much too wee for that that position (laughs) it's true yeah I like Ben Foster, too, but I also think he's one of those actors where if you give him this kind of material, he's just going to try really hard to make it interesting in any way, and he can't. I yeah. Felt, yeah, I felt bad for him. Like, I actually, like, we'll get, like, I know we get to the Quaid stuff eventually. I didn't hate Quaid in this, but Foster just sort of felt like, oh, buddy, you're so screwed. They just, they basically just told you, be intense for, like, an hour and 40 minutes, and that's all you got to do. Yeah, well, they tried <laughs> to, like, knock some of the intensity up by dropping him on a spine, like, six or seven times. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> yeah there's 
There's absolutely no way anyone survives these fight scenes in real life as choreographed. Mm. I don't think the creative team is, um, they're not American. And I think that they're, there is a sort of tin cans and string quality to some of the dialogue <laughs> and the construction of it. But mm. I just, like, all of a sudden we're getting exposition about Nadia working in the lab and she has a whole very... Um, learned phonetically like Roxette monologue about <laughs> what they were doing there that um, I, I felt bad for this actor and also she was not covered up and uh, also also this is already information that we deduced and the script did not need to spend some of its too many minutes on this um, I have a clip so that uh, listeners can understand what we endured on the road to the end credits. Here's clip two. This truly is Noah's Ark. This archive holds the world we are going to live in. We've already lost about 30% of the specimens. The lab has its own generator, but without the reactor working, I don't know if they will ever make it to Tarnas. Tarnas? You couldn't remember? I couldn't remember how how far away it was. This was a 123-year flight. Consider yourself lucky. It took me months to recall. It took even longer to get that goddamn door open. It comes only in pieces. I know everything about this vault and its systems. But I still can't remember where I grew up. Or my brother's name. I mean... Well, <laughs> guess what? Noah's Ark's underwater now. Yeah. You know what the one thing Noah's Ark didn't do? <laughs> Sink. <laughs> and right after this, she off. She, would you like something to eat? And then he has to have the one cricket that's supposed to populate the Tannis bug population. <laughs> Crunchy. Was it and still then, alive, too? She, like, yeah. hands it to a live, a live critic and, oh, it's a good source of protein. Like, okay, yeah, sure, fine. Yeah. Uh, did anybody at certain points Jesus. in the movie I actually like just was so thrown out I was just staring at their like all the exposed skin and wondering just how long it took for the makeup artist to put all the dirt and like the fake blood and like because everybody's just loaded and like they just look greasy as hell yeah I was wondering how they made the um like oily soup that they were immersed in with only their eyes mm. sticking out which is the <laughs> obligatory shot of your co-hosts that will be appearing in the visual aids <laughs> just the two of us up to the nostrils and fucking over it but that's like what is that like caro syrup and licorice like how do they do that but yeah zach i had the same sensation just sort of looking at the walls and being like who's what luckless soul's job was it to put green jello thickened <laughs> with something on the walls yeah my name's scotty and i work on pandorum they're letting me do the piping <laughs> uh, poor bastard <laughs> should we even talk about pandorum and how forced this is like that concept is just like how it's 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 just the most yeah i'm sorry actually there really is nothing to say it's just very silly yeah it's generally not a good sign when they're like let's let's come up with a new word for it uh well what is <laughs> yeah. it well it's just wigging out in space oh we definitely need a new word for it <laughs> yeah it's, my notes were like is this like the goya adobo of space madness yeah. <laughs> pandorum oh borum <laughs> like it's it's just msg and garlic powder right cool <laughs> 
<laughs> All right, look, we're going to have to get to them eventually because I bothered to write down some things. Uh, we've done our review for the most part. Here are some contemporary reviews. <laughs> As you might imagine, none of them are good, uh, ex- with the exception of, well, I mean, there's a couple and they're all stretching. They're like this one from The Guardian's Zan Brooks, who writes, Pandorum is less a story than a prolonged bout of paranoid hysterics, exuberantly played out on metal gang planks and inside Stygian tunnels. As such, it works just fine. I'll remind you here that that uh, Zan is uh, he's English, so he expects less. Just that's <laughs> my thinking. Uh, Annalie Newitz in io9 was not happy. She wrote, the fact is that this movie was lame, both as a movie and as a cultural symptom. It was dimly lit, filled with boring spaceship corridors and even more boring monsters and lightly sprinkled with a backstory far more interesting than the front story. <laughs> Basically, the only reason to go see Pandorum this weekend is if you've already seen District 9 twice, Jennifer's Body once, and already watched Fringe, Flash Forward, Supernatural, and Glee on your DVR. I didn't really think of Glee as having a lot of space paranoia. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It got pretty wild in the it last really season. Did. I, I would not hoard anything against Ryan Murphy. Yeah. Yeah, I felt like maybe the the young actors were going through that like in real life in the dressing room, but you weren't seeing that on the screen. But <laughs> And then we have our buddy Nathan Rabin in the A V Club describing an unconscionably long movie in which, quote, in space apparently nobody can hear you steal. Rabin writes Throw out the presence of Dennis Quaid and the new science fiction horror snoozer Pandorum could easily pass for a Roger Corman cheapie. In the Corman spirit, the film saves money on lighting and casting by devoting half its runtime to having Ben Foster wander around a dimly lit, grubby, seemingly empty spaceship in a dystopian future, as if starring in a homemade creature-free alien. Then the space beasties arrive, looking like bootleg orcs from Lord of the Rings, and this film morphs from a tedious thriller in which nothing much happens to a tedious thriller would be mind blower in which far too much happens. Yep. (laughs) That's Mm -hmm. about it. Wasting the word Stygian on this is a choice, and sometimes, like, Ebert did not bother with this one, smartly. But that did remind me of that. This is a terrible movie, but I can have some fun writing the review. Efforts from Ebert about similarly bad movies that were like, how did he see a seven in this? But, you know, sometimes you just have to sometimes you have to choose to love the movie or see it's see its good qualities. That really is not possible here, at least for me. I am prepared to rate this if you gentlemen are. Absolutely. Let's let our guests go first. Zach, what, how'd you feel about it? So I'm a little nervous going first. I think I'd probably go at like a three, which is maybe a little high, but that opening section was pretty effective. And like I said, I did actually kind of like until he had to go off the rails. I actually thought Quaid wasn't bad. I like Foster. Uh, yeah. So I'll go with a three. Okay. Fair enough. Sarah? I am also going with a three because it could have been... Maybe I should mark down for like how annoyed I was that it um, <laughs> slid that far from what it could have been at the beginning. I really wasn't expecting anything, which is good because that's kind of what I got. But the first 10 or 15 minutes, like it did make me think that maybe this was like an underrated gem. Yeah. It is neither. Ben Foster tries. He shouldn't, but he he does try, and we'll talk about this in a sec, but I agree with uh, Zach that Dennis Quaid is, for what this is, pretty good in and for it. So, yeah, um, that said, it's way too long and way too shitty. Three. Yeah, um, this 
<laughs> like I, I appreciate your referring to to Ebert going like, well, I'll, I'll find something here or any reviewer. Mm. Uh, but this this movie was bad, like a kid too ugly for his mom to find attractive. Like, just, you know, <laughs> yeah. There's just no way to be like, no, honey, you're striking. Yeah, <laughs> I did. Like when I went into the producer credits and I saw Paul W.S. Anderson, I was I like, oh, now I know. Now I know. <laughs> I should have known. <laughs> yeah. We were probably lucky it wasn't two and a half hours in that case. Yeah, no shit. I'm just glad that like nobody I know from the internet was in it either. Like just stunt cast. Uh, I wound up going with 2.5. I thought that was maybe being uh, miserly. And I'm relieved that both of you said three. <laughs> uh, agreed. You know, Ben Foster, yes. The intro had promise. I can even get down with a couple of you know aspects of what we later get from our backstory but in typical paul ws anderson form there's too much of everything so like mm -hmm. you've got you know these mm -hmm. turbo mutants that can kill everything and then you've got too many of them to make the plot of evading them work or make yeah. sense i mean you have them sleeping around a reactor like the cuddle session after the orgiastic dance fuck scene in zion in the matrix like they're just all just sharing warmth down there by the piping again uh scotty did the piping um I, you know just <laughs> good old scotty everything you guys said i'm i'm so frustrated and annoyed i'm like that 2.5 is all in the first 20 minutes mm -hmm. yep but we both talked about how dennis did and mm -hmm. how he seemed to be right for it so let's talk about quaid qua quaid that's rating the quaidity of dennis's performance in here zach again i'm going to put the onus on you as the guest also you know think you, you get the first pick you get first dibs. Yeah. It's not all responsibility. Oh, oh, you say that. You say that like it's not a lie. Um, if you want to stall, I have a clip so that the listeners oh, yes, can see yes, stall. not just how he's acting, but how much he's acting. Spoiler, <laughs> control A. Here's clip three. <laughs> this is freedom. Is it? This is Pandorum. Oh, Pandorum. Pandorum isn't what they warned us about. I know it's frightening at first, terrifying in fact. Isn't that what you're feeling right now? Terrible fear. Let go. And on the other side of it is divine clarity, purity, enlightenment. Shut up! Shut up! What's out there? You are resisting what is. You have to let go of your petty concept of reality. That's just baggage from the old world. And we both know that didn't work out very well, now did it? They fucked up our planet. Life eats life, life, and all that's left is what is. This ship is the seed from which we can create a new world. Shut up! What's up? A new world, natural state, raw. What do you see? Beautiful, perfect. I am offering you the kingdom, and all that's holding you back is your own fear. Well, God bless him. Um. Yeah, he left it all on the <laughs> ocean floor, I guess. Yeah, I like I said, I actually was like having listened to this season so far and having had my own experience of watching Quaid in movies where he made like there are like bad performances where he just sort of picks attack and it's so inhuman and unconvincing mm -hmm. that it just like can't work. Here he actually like finds some emotional honesty at certain points. Like it's not there's no way you could give an amazing performance in this movie, I don't I don't think. Mm. It's very much a trope character, like he's supposed to be the the reasonable figure of authority who is eventually turns out to be no no he was the real villain all along ah gasp um but i think quaid does a good job at the beginning 
of selling like you kind of want to like him. He's like the only bright spot in the initial part of the movie. We get a we get a Dennis Quaid grin fairly early mm-hmm. on. Couple yeah. like, of them, yeah. I was like, oh, okay, this guy's kind of cool. I, I I like the there's like a joke he does early on where like Foster falls through a hole or something and like he goes, oh, I just got the door open and uh, Foster's like, are you joking? He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, that's actually like humans. <laughs> People do that. Like, it felt like one of the problems with this kind of movie is that it gets, they usually tend to get so dour and uh, stuck up in their lore that they forget to let people actually be like, you know, weird, goofy, dorky humans. And there were a couple of moments where I thought Quay managed to break three from that. But at the same time, like, nobody was going to make that last little monologue, like the... I thought a comparison point. Now I completely lost it. But, um, I mean, Al Pacino at the end of Devil's Advocate, he can do it. But Quaid... Quaid gives it his all. Yeah. It's not exactly good, but I don't know if it could have been. So I'm going to go with like a six and a half. Okay. Is that too high or is that too low? <laughs> I, I feel like that's a little high, but I, I'm right there with your analysis on where it's working and it's not. I think the kind of softer eyed, dilfier Dennis that we've gotten in this season works as the, you know, confused, befuddled authority figure whose job is to make you know, firm, confident decisions and mobilize people even in the absence of information, right? So there's a gentleness and a humanity that works there. And then when we get to the megalomaniacal, this ship could be a kingdom of nothing. Like he's like, there's not, you know, he pulls back the the shade and reveals that they're in such deep space that there is no starlight anymore. There is no hope. What kingdom is this? You know, but that that kind of megalomaniacal turn seems to me to need like an iciness and a precision that you get more from like a, you know, and I realize that like I'm pulling an A-list actor and it's not fair here, but like, you know, a Ray Fiennes-ish sort of Mm. mode and delivery and mentality. And, you know, what Quaid does well of the, you know, the, the kind of gargling masculinity, it discomposes the character, even as it's trying to build this other element of him with the turn. Like, I just don't, buy into it because of the tools that Dennis is trying to use to assemble this kind of genocidal megalomania. But, you know, the first part, you know, that first 25, 20 minutes of movie where we're thinking like, well, maybe we've got a no exit on our hands, but in space, like he's really good. That's great. That's what we needed. It's just that the actual, like the culmination of the character, what you're going to remember of this character, if you're going to remember this movie at all, like he, he shouldn't be there for that part. So what's your number? Like four, because wow. I feel like if he could have pulled that turn off, you know, this would have been like a, a well-regarded, like an eight, like a Dennis performance. He got the half of it that he could get right, right. Huh. Well, I thought he got it right to the extent that he was able to. And I did give it an eight for Quaidosity. Um, and this is wow. the sort of fascinating wow. part of Quaid in these latter seasons that you are seeing. I, I feel like this is the fourth at least episode in this season where i have accused the dialogue of being a spilled box of um fridge magnet poetry and (laughs) this monologue that we just heard is absolutely that that it's like airbnb text art but for a space dystopia (laughs) in a fridge poetry (laughs) magnet set like i don't know how and then they sped him up so and i think they also know what dennis quaid is I did keep thinking 
of that also horrible but like compellingly horrible and campy movie virtuosity starring russell crowe as a composite serial killer who like breaks out of the matrix Mm -hmm. and talk about hysterical performances it's actually glorious to watch you can hear the scenery being not just chewed but digested it's amazing yeah this is that performance from dennis quaid and somehow even though the timeline doesn't exactly work he doesn't look as much like an older cam gigante as ben foster does or like i would say he's the poor man's hayden christensen but hayden christensen is the poor man's hayden christensen (laughs) none of that works exactly but there is a commitment to sort of trying to provide a through line of quaitiness from the beginning to this decompensation that he's doing he does grin he is supposed to be a flight person of some sort which is pretty quaity that's like a minor consideration is this typical of his roles i can't really say at this point but i think it kind of is because now you're getting heel turns and guys who are commissioned officers that checks all the boxes it's not possible to be good in this like you said but he does surprisingly well for what it is so i gave it an eight See, I, I feel like maybe if he'd had more kind of like reflexive authority at the beginning, like if, if he'd been a, a little bit more composed, I could see that kind of through line military character absorbing this megalomania. But it really does seem like a, I don't know, like a cleaved persona. And so the second half doesn't seem to proceed organically from the first, which again, like nobody can do. Right. Now I kind of want to, I kind of want to go see that culminating scene again and see like, well, maybe it was I misreading him because I feel ungenerous. You know, you're Sarah, I don't think I've, you know, I'm not telling anybody anything new when I say that, you know, you're a, a scholar of Quaid work, <laughs> you know, so I'm, I want to take you seriously when, you know, you're saying, oh, he's doing a lot better. And like, man, am I being unfair to Dennis? But that was my knee jerk vibe at the time. So no, I mean. That's why everybody present gets to rate it. And I think having uh, our esteemed colleague here to sort of be right in the middle of us. Yes, that's (laughs) me, Mr. Median. Says that, um, you know, we're both wrong, but we're all in it together. And that's Pandorum. (laughs) It's the friends we made along the way. (laughs) Fucking Pandorum. Oh, my God. (laughs) Why? Oh, my God. Next time on Quaid in Full, Season 8. In the meantime, grab a fresh bowl of people and check out the show notes and follow the podcast on Twitter at Quaid in Full Pod and get even more content at our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Quaid in Full. Quaid in Full is hosted by Sarah D. Bunting and Jeb Lund and edited by Jeb Lund. Don't subscribe yet? Stop bobbing around in that corpse slurry and go sign up wherever you get your podcasts and rate and review Quaid in Full so other people can find it. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next season. You're all that's left of us. Good luck. God bless. And Godspeed. (laughs) Those mean the same thing, bro. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking Pandorum!